chance to feel like heroes too Forever we'll win And if we should lose We know someday we'll go all the way Yeah, someday we'll go all the way Welcome back to Holy Cow, a Cubs podcast I'm your host, Sean Holland Our guest on this episode Returning champion, Ryan Davis Who writes for Forbes does some work for Cubs Insider. Uh, we just talk about what the hell's going on with this season. Is it going to happen? Disputes between the players and management. It's a mess. Then we talk about the Last Dance Bulls documentary, which pretty much everyone is watching. And finally, we're going to talk about our simulated games, which are... Well, recaps of fake games, but you don't have anything else, so um, without much further ado, here's Ryan. All right, Ryan, uh, welcome back to Holy Cow, the Cubs podcast. Glad to have you back on the show. Yeah, absolutely. Anytime, especially during the quarantine when there's not much else going on. Well, yes, uh, we haven't had a new episode in a while. In fact, my last new episode I looked in was April 1st when I had Jeff Passan. So mm. more optimistic time. Yes. But I guess we'll get right into that because I haven't had any shows because, well, there hasn't been much baseball news, but all of a sudden now the baseball world is at least attempting to come back to life. And I'll just, I guess I'll just ask right off the bat, what do you think about this? you know, negotiation between the players and the owners about coming back to have some form of baseball this year. Yeah. I I think the fact that they're sitting down having serious conversations about how to make it work is a positive thing. Uh, I know that um, some of the stuff that's out there is kind of in bad faith uh, as far as negotiating goes. The owners know that the players would never agree to essentially a 50-50 revenue split after having previously agreed to prorated contracts. Um, so I, I think there's a, a little bit of trying to play the public angle in that, um, you know, they, the owners put that out there and the players, you know, obviously have, no reason to agree to that. And the players kind of have a lot of the power here considering they're the ones taking all the risk. And, um, you know, the, the owners did that and, uh, the media kind of gobbled that up. And then you heard things like the governor of Illinois making comments about it. And, um, you know, people really running to the defense of the billionaire owners. So, well, let me, uh, let me, so some of the people listening might not understand. They hear 50, 50 split and they go, well, that's good. 50, 50. That's, that's fair. But this is, yeah, you gotta explain that this is, they've already agreed to prorate their salaries before, and they're only going to play 80 games. So that right. is having your salary. This right, would be yeah. a substantial pay cut. Further. Yeah. They, they agreed to, to take, uh, you know, basically prorate and just take essentially a half, half of what their scheduled salaries were going to be. And then the owners came back and said, we want you to take 48%. We get 52%. Uh, because otherwise we're going to take losses. And the reality is that the players agree to contracts with the owners, regardless of how much money the game is going to make. And in previous years, the game made money 
hand over fist, and that money went primarily to the owners. The players got their contractual cut, and the owners did great. Now we have a situation where, because of a worldwide pandemic, the game is, to play this season, the owners are going to have to take a loss in the short term. And that's the risk of owning a business, especially a major business like that, is sometimes times are tough, and, and if you do well in previous years you should be saving some of that money so that if you have a down year and you take a loss uh, you can weather that storm that's how all businesses really operate Uh, and the owners are essentially saying well we don't want to have to take a loss at all we want the players to give up more money that they're contractually obligated to and um, essentially what they're saying is we want to own these billion dollar businesses without any sort of risk at all of ever taking a loss because the only time the owners of like the Cubs or the Dodgers or the Yankees or the Red Sox, anytime any of these people are ever going to take a loss, it's going to really require something like we're going through right now. So what they're essentially saying is we need you to give up more uh, when we're not willing uh, to ever really take any sort of risk when you're, we're asking you to give up more and risk your health to play, possibly quarantine away from your family, all these other kind of, you know, risks that are involved. And the the other part of it is when the game's doing well, the players don't get to ask for more. You know, Chris Bryant's making, I don't remember what the number is, eight to, let's say $18 million. And mm-hmm. uh, in a normal season, if baseball did amazingly well and he had the top selling jersey in the game and he performed exceedingly well, he didn't, he doesn't get to go back to the Ricketts family and say, you know, you made a lot of money off me. 18 million is not fair. You should give me an extra 10 million for this season. It doesn't work that way. The owners would never do that. So to, to do the flip side of it, it's just playing politics, trying to get the media to cape for them and trying to get fans to kind of run to social media and say, boohoo, the players won't uh, take a pay cut so that I can watch baseball. Yes. And it's also a bit of, you know, blame shifting too. Because they don't right. want to be the bad guys if these games don't happen because mm-hmm. of this. And then so they can put the pressure on the players to make them the bad guys so they'll take less. They're just right. using pressure. The, uh, the opposite end of it would be if the Players Association, ahead of all this, before they agreed to prorate their salaries, came in and said, you know, we're, we're sending this out, media tell everybody, players willing to cut salaries in half to get a season done basically prorating their salaries. And that would put the pressure on the owners to agree to that. Um, That would have been smart (laughs) if they had done something like that at the very beginning. I've had my qualms with how leadership has run the MLB Players Association in the past. Um, And I I think leadership even somewhat put their foot in their mouth uh, since the owners put that out there in the media that they want to do the the 52-48 split. Um, but yeah, that, that would be the, like the equivalent situation would be putting something out there like that to try and get public opinion on your side. So of course, in the elephant in the room with all of this is the health stuff. And we don't know if this is even going to, if the players and the owners agreed to all this, we have no idea where these games are going to be played, Would there be enough testing for them with the state of America right now. Is this even feasible? And that's not even being addressed right now with right. these uh, debate. 
Yeah, and there's a lot that I think some players have uh, major concerns about. I know Sean Doolittle has been really vocal about that aspect of it on social media. Um, that's that's where I think they are with it. Is is it worth taking the risk that you know maybe you know one player on a team gets sick and doesn't show any symptoms, and before you know he can get completely tested um maybe he spreads it to a bunch of teammates even if you do daily testing um i i don't know if the tests are accurate enough that if somebody had just contracted the virus that it would get it right away so you could have in theory guys you know contracting it um you know at a grocery store going to a game you know that day or to the ballpark not testing uh positive for it and then still being infectious and infecting an entire clubhouse. And then what do you do then? So that, that, then there's, you know, do, going down the road of you know, what if a player got sick uh, and died, you know, like that, that serious stuff that, you know, it's a conversation I don't think anyone really wants to have because it's so morbid and grim, but that that's a reality that they need to be talking about is, you know, what if we agree to do this and then, you know, an entire team gets sick and somebody dies. Yes, and that the other thing, too, is with this latest proposal, is to play in the home ballparks and fly around to these. It's just, I mean, I don't think any of these plans are super, but the one that was based in, like, Arizona makes a little bit more sense because at least everyone would be in one spot. So you mm-hmm. wouldn't have this travel. I just, I don't know if this plan to play in the real home stadiums is going to work. Yeah, and... I- I see the arguments for both sides of that. Um, the travel part is the negative of playing in the home ballparks. The positive is somewhat of normalcy, I guess, uh, bringing a little extra layer um, for the players and for the fans to have their home stadium. Uh, a lot of these guys uh, who sign these contracts long-term, they live in these cities. Um, so they're residents there, and you know that way they could be with their families. Um, I know a lot of guys get you know, their, their house that they rent in Arizona and, and whatnot. But, you know, <clears throat> in, in a normal season, um, you know, Chris Bryant's wife doesn't expect to be spending, um, you know, June, July, and August and September in Arizona. She expects to be in Chicago and, and others who, you know, if Ben Zobris were still playing and, and, you know, they had kids, you know, those kids were going to be going to schools. Other players have kids that, uh, go to their schools and in their towns that they live in. And I'm sure there are Cubs players that aren't going to pull their kids out of school and then enroll them. Um, I guess nobody's going to school right now and it's the summer anyway, but yeah, the, the point being, you know, the, it's hard to uproot your family um, or worst case quarantine away from your family so that you can play. So I, I get both sides of it. I see why maybe the players association might be more, apt to want to play in the home ballparks and travel than to just kind of be Arizona, Florida mm-hmm. um, restricted. And then you have the, the, the other aspect of, you know, how weird it would be to try and create divisions out of that mm-hmm. because it's so split, um, you know, grapefruit lead and league and cactus league aren't American league national league. You know, it's, I mean, it's, um, you know, do you have the, the Cubs in a division with the Cleveland Indians and the, White Sox, and then also, you know, uh, the Oakland A's and and the Seattle Mariners. I mean, it, it's just, 
Um, it, it would be a weird situation for baseball to do that. Uh, and it's weird enough to suggest that they would stay regional in, in these traveling circles where they basically only play the NL central and the AL central. That's a very strange thing in general, but obviously that's lower on the concerns list. Yeah. And you know, I guess we've seen this now the Korean baseball organization are playing these games in in the home parks and empty stadiums. But of course they're, you know, have a lot lower infection rate than America too. So, but it is one of those things. It's like, and you know that a lot of this is to honor TV contracts because mm-hmm. they get a lot of money for these regional TV deals and just having the bare minimum. I think there's contract, a number of games they're supposed to play or the television deals get voided. So a lot mm-hmm. of that would be, if that's what the owners and stuff are seeking, they would push for just like empty stadiums in Arizona and Florida just to get yeah. the TV things honored. So it's interesting. Yeah, I, they're, I'm not as well versed uh, in the TV side of it as I am the labor side of it, but I know that they're that I think that's what the owners probably are hoping to cash in on is to get TV money and then the teams that get more TV money, there's the revenue sharing portion of that that would help out some of the smaller teams that you know don't have as generous TV deals. So um, I, I think what would really push this thing forward is the owners agreeing to, you know, hey, we will make concessions financially and risk possibly taking a loss. Um, maybe we have to dig into our reserves. Maybe the Cubs have to, you know, okay, so Ricketts family, I'm sorry, you own the Cubs. You, This is your business that you own. If they're going to take a loss, you're going to have to dig into your pockets and pay for it. And long term, once we're past this as a society, you're going to be making money hand over fist again, and you'll be able to repay yourself. But you know that that is that is the risk that every business owner takes is that there may be lean years. I know a lot of other business owners are going through it right now, and you know they they have a deal, a con- contractual obligation with the players. Uh, the players don't have to agree to take mm-hmm. anything less than what they've already agreed to, and uh, if that if that's the case, if the players just say, you know what, collectively we decide we're not going to play, mm-hmm. um, the owners aren't going to make any money and they're going to take massive losses. So something has to give here, and I think the players have all the all the leverage in this situation. Well, yeah, yeah. and the other thing too is that you hear this from the owners about if we don't get the fans in the stands, we're going to lose money. But you know, I don't. I'm like you. I don't know a ton about the mm-hmm. financial end. But if you're telling me they don't make at least 75% of their money off TV deals. I don't believe that. I think actually, the TV deals are most of their... Actually, it's you. not. You you would be you would be surprised. Um, I was reading just the other day um, that uh, butts and seats, concessions, uh, parking, etc., all of that stuff makes up about 60 to 70% of what the Cubs do. See, I didn't know that. Yeah, so, and th- that's going to be different team to team, right? Like the the Marlins don't draw many people, and they have a small TV deal, so you you never know what that split's going to be at other places. But uh, I know that the that the majority of owners, I would suspect, make well over fifty percent of their money off of um, concessions and ticket sales and parking and uh, 
you know, jersey sales and all these other aspects of it. Now, see, my my knowledge is not very good. So I guess maybe then they would have more of a case to make. See, I always assumed they talk about how big a deal like the Cubs TV deal was for them. I guess I underestimated the importance of the actual filling the stadium. Yeah. And I mean, um, again, it's just stuff that I've read recently, obviously that more would be learned if the owners would open their books. Mm -hmm. And that's the other aspect of it is when you're asking someone to take a revenue split, the NBA did that, um, putting in a salary cap and they opened their books. Um, major league baseball is going to need to do that. If, they want the players to do a revenue split, which in general the players have no obligation to agree to, but that would have to be one of the conditions is, Hey, we're not just going to take your word for it. Um, I was watching, um, I think it was David Kaplan on the rant with uh, John Fairlease and Danny rocket and Evan Altman. And he was talking about that exact situation. And he said, it's like, you know, the two of us go rob a bank and, you know, we're going to take a 50-50 split, but the deal is I'll count the money. And at the end of it, you thought we stole a million dollars, but I say we stole 600000 Here's your $300,000. Yes. You know, that that's that's kind of the situation the owners want to be in when they're making this offer. And uh, outside of the other reasons why it's unfair and the players shouldn't take the deal, that's another aspect of it that's like, no, that's it's an absurd deal that the owners know at face value it's going to be rejected. It's it's absolutely just a a public ploy, which I think creates even more distrust and animosity in a situation that's already been filled with it just leading up to the new CBA. Yeah, you know, I was going to ask you about that a little bit. So, you know, I was worried a strike was coming when this next CBA expired, but with this back and forth, you got to get the fear level's got to go even higher. Yeah. It really looks like there's going to be some kind of work stoppage when the CBA is over. Yeah, and if they don't play this season and owners take a loss, you can really start to play out in your mind what that's going to look like. Um, you know, let's say that you know there's a coronavirus vaccine um, optimistically by um, this winter, and it looks like things are clearing up, and uh, that at, at best, maybe they're saying uh, be able to play games like normal next year. And they think that you you could have maybe half full stadiums, whatever you want to say about it, but a, a decent a decent season that resembles something pre-2020 for 2021. Um, do the owners go sign free agents? Do they spend money on that after a season where they didn't play and they lost a bunch of money? Uh, so guys who are hitting the free agent market, not going to be signed. Um, you've got other guys with, uh, you know, uh, big league service time. They didn't get a year. Um, how does that affect them as we lose, you know, a year towards free agency? Um, you know, that there's a lot to figure out there and, um, then you play next year and then the, the CBA expires and then you, I mean, you already had all this animosity. You lose a season. Nobody wants to sign free agents you're going to have a major fight and it's going to be ugly and there's going to be no winners, only losers. And I've seen a lot of people saying it and I tend to agree to a, to a, to a degree that you will lose fans. Um, you won't, you won't lose diehards. I think when, when you think of quote unquote Cubs Twitter, I think 98% of those people will be back. 
and they'll be yes. rooting for their team. I think there's a very strong base with every team that will always be back, but mm-hmm. uh, the profit is in the margins and the margins are the average fan. And I think you will lose some of those people and, and that'll be painful for the game. And it was, it was painful in 1981. It was painful in 1994. I know old, older people who used to love baseball said they lost me with the 94 strike, yeah. whether, whether that's fair or not to the players. Um, it does happen. So, uh, it, it's going to be a big problem. And as far as I'm concerned, the majority of the blame falls on ownership with uh, greed and unwilling unwillingness to accept their part in the risk of what's going on and uh, just a constant want to um, play this PR game to make the players look bad. Um, I, I think it just creates a massive rift and it's only making it worse. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And just if we do get to that, if we lose this season, and there's, it's not the PR of having any kind of work stoppage after losing another season would be catastrophic. Yeah, so, I mean, if you think, if you think about it, you know, uh, is playing one season sandwiched around two completely lost years, uh, is that good enough? Uh, would that be enough to retain fans? I don't think so. I think mm-hmm. if even if you figured out a deal and you, um, you know, started playing again in uh, late 2022, or even lost the entire year and played again in 2023, what would stadiums look like? Mm-hmm. I think you'd have a lot of half full stadiums, um, even without social distancing. So, yeah, uh, that it, it's a scary situation that baseball's in, where uh, you can look at other leagues and think how much healthier the NBA is uh, uh, comparatively as an example, the NBA is opting not to play right now. Um, They're having the conversations about how to make it work and it may not work and they may not not come back until next year, but uh, you don't hear about the strife between um, players and ownership in the NBA like you do in major league baseball. And it's, it, it comes from, ownership side the owners are just they they've been dishonest with the players and they've struck these deals that um you know to be fair the players agreed to them but mm-hmm. the owners the owners knew exactly what they were doing and they played this long game to get the players to essentially um be accepting these deals that are very low financially for them and now they want to cry poor because the season's uh, not being held with fans and seats. It's it's an unfortunate situation that, that baseball has come to this. Yeah, it really is, but I guess that's the spot we're in. So, yeah. speaking of the NBA, I thought I would ask you because you're a pretty big Bulls fan. Yes. Uh, this The Last Dance has been airing every Sunday with nothing else going on, but I thought I'd ask you for your thoughts on The Last Dance. You know, I'm really enjoying it. Um, I was talking with someone earlier today. I thought it, and he agreed with me, it was marketed as a Bulls documentary, and mm-hmm. the first few episodes felt like a Bulls documentary. But since about episode three, uh, it feels more like a, just a Jordan documentary. And I've been enjoying it still, uh, but that's what kind of what it is. Um, how the first episode was about Jordan, second episode was about Scottie Pippen, Third episode, Dennis Rodman. Then they focused on Phil Jackson, and then, you know, I kind of expected more after that. They haven't, uh, 
And they didn't focus a whole episode on Tony Kukoc like I thought they would, mm-hmm. you know. They didn't talk about how Ron Harper found his way to that team, which I think is pretty interesting how he was one of the better players in the 90s, one of the more underrated players coming from spending a lot of time with the Clippers. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a really good, you know, slashing guard, played great defense, could score about 20 points a game. The Bulls signed him expecting him to semi replace Jordan as their shooting guard to be the kind of wingman for Scotty Pippen in 1995. And for whatever reason, Ron Harper didn't, well, I think it was probably the triangle offense was a big part of it, him not picking that up immediately. But then Jordan came back and now he's this role player. Um, I think that's a really interesting story. There has been really nothing about that uh, in the documentary at all. There's been, there, there was only the little tidbits about the way Jordan and Pippen treated Kukoc uh, when he was um, in uh, the, the, the Olympics lost my mind for a second. Uh, they did a little bit on that, but they didn't do much about him coming to the team and, and his role on the team. So, the, those are my minor complaints. Uh, overall, I've been absolutely loving it and enjoying it. It does feel like Jordan propaganda, but um, still, it, it's been a nice walk down memory lane. That was I, I watched the Bulls before that, and I liked basketball, but the first season I remember fully like getting into it was the 98 season. Mm-hmm. Uh, and unfortunately for me, I, I remember getting into it that year. I remember watching it in the playoffs. I can remember all that vividly. And then after that, I remember really sticking with the Bulls real hard in the following years, thinking, you know, they've got some talent on this team. They're going to turn it around. And they just, yeah. They, they, if we were to go into a full post Jordan Bulls rant here, I'd say they yeah. gave up. They gave up on that talent too early, and and that's why they uh, kind of failed to bounce back yeah. after Jordan. So what are, we were talking, like, Ron Artest, what else? What are they? Uh, so they had Ron Artest, Brad Miller, Elton Brand. Oh, all, right. all three of those guys became all-stars after leaving the Bulls, and Artest actually won a Defensive Player of the Year award. Mm-hmm. Um, they also they traded Elton Brand for um, Tyson Chandler, Mm-hmm. Who, who they developed and then they traded away and then he became an all-star and a defensive player of the year. Um, they had a whole bunch of guys who were real good and real talented that they picked up at the very start of their career. Mm-hmm. Um, those four guys, all all-stars after they left the bulls. Um, Jamal Crawford was never an all-star, but I think he won six man of the year three times and was um, a quality player in the NBA for a really long time. Um, and he did most of that after he left the Bulls. So they they had some talent. I think they had Brand, Artest, Miller, and Crawford all on the same team. Mm-hmm. And I think they drafted, I can't remember who else they drafted around then. But the, those guys, I mean, that was a solid core. You probably could have built something around that if you maybe landed a free agent that was decent, which seemed to always be their Achilles heel. But, you know, if that if you imagine that that team have been able to sign Tracy McGrady. I think you probably had a contender in three years after Jordan left three or four years, but yeah. it, it just didn't happen. And that was really the problem. But you've stuck with it, right? I did. Yeah. I, I stuck with the bulls through the thin years because I loved basketball when I was a teenager. I was, uh, let's see in 98, I would have been 12. So I was really, you know, starting to play basketball. Um, it's not, I'm not real thin anymore, but I used to be real thin when I was younger and I was tall for my age. So 
Uh, I played basketball. I played into high school uh, and I just absolutely loved it. Basketball was really my first love. Uh, baseball came after that. Um, so yeah, man, I, I really stuck with it. I, I remember way more about those old Bulls teams than most people do because most people totally tuned out. Uh, but I was still, yeah, anytime the Bulls were on, I was at home usually with my mom who also loves basketball watching, Mm -hmm. watching games with her on the couch. Um, that was a lot of, a lot of my childhood. So, um, yeah, if, if somebody, if there was a trivia night where it was, uh, 1999 to 2004 bulls trivia i think i'd probably clean up well that's good yeah no i've been in, i was in a similar where um I, i'm a lakers fan so i've been kind of watching this bulls documentary from like the outside mm-hmm. and but i watched all those i remember like i'm a little older than you so i was like from 95 94 that's when i really started remembering so i remember mm-hmm. the back but Back then, the Lakers were bad. I yeah. jumped on the Lakers bandwagon, and they were not as good. But then they got good again. But And I got right. to see all the Phil Jackson later success, which was also fun. Which is, you know, I was just an NBA fan in that era, too. So I actually kind of, in every sport, I always like to have a kind of a rotating second favorite team to root mm-hmm. for. And uh, I really liked Ron Harper as a player. Uh, yes, yeah. I do remember watching him a little bit pre bowls and thinking he was such a cool player. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when he went to the Lakers, that was, uh, that was big for me. I really liked watching him play with uh, Shaq and Kobe. And then, man, I remember that 2000 finals was just like mm-hmm. Ron Harper showcase finals. Like he, I don't, it, it'd be not right to say that he won the finals for the Lakers because Shaq and Kobe were so good, but there was the game that Kobe was out with the ankle yeah. injury. He wrote his Ron, ankle, yeah. Yeah, I think Ron Harper scored like 21 points in that mm-hmm. game. I mean, it was just like, all you know, you could just see everything he learned playing with the Bulls and playing under Phil Jackson and taking that role um, when he was still, you know, when he, when it started in 96, he was still, you know, kind of the back end of his prime still could have been scoring 20 points a game somewhere else. And, uh, so it was fun to watch Harper be that guy breaking the Pacers hearts. Uh, well, you know, it was funny too, because you were talking before about, he didn't really fit into the system right away. Cause my experience when he was on the Lakers was, Oh, he's a Phil Jackson guy. So Phil yeah. Jackson brought him in. So he was the right. guy in the system. So he funny. was, he, he became that guy. But um, if you remember back to 95, the 95 season, even before Jordan arrived, Harper had found his way to the bench and it was, it was spare, uh, spare minutes was all he was really getting. Uh, I think he just struggled to pick up the triangle offense in the initial part of it. I think, and, and maybe they talked about this in the Jordan documentary, or maybe I watched it somewhere else in supplementary material, but I remember, uh, Jordan talking about Harper, uh, seeing him working out that off season after 1995 and, and basically saying, you know, I'm, I'm not in this to be on the bench, even though, you know, Jordan came back, you know, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to learn this and I'm going to work my ass off and I'm, I'm going to be back out there playing meaningful minutes going forward. And, and he was, he was basically a starter right away in 1996. And he, he played a really underrated, um, a massively underrated role on those championship teams. Yes. So I guess that'll conclude the basketball portion of the <laughs> podcast. 
Um, I'll ask you one more. Uh, you were talking about the rant before on CubsInsider.com. So anyone pay attention that they've had some really great guests on there. I mean, players and stuff. Yeah. In- including me. I was a guest one time. Yeah. So yeah, I, I'm in good company with uh, so Alec Mills was on it mm-hmm. a couple of days ago. David Kaplan. Uh, they've had guys like Zach Short on there. Really, a bunch of really good guests. I've I've actually been enjoying it quite a bit. Uh, I I watch a lot of old games on YouTube throughout the day while I work from home. Uh, it's just kind of fun background noise. Today I had on Mark Pryor's Major League debut, um, so that was a fun one. But yeah, my my YouTube channel reminds me <laughs> that uh, the the rant is going to be on at three thirty Central. So and the, it'll always tell me like who's going to be coming up. So it's a really cool thing those guys are doing. Uh, it's kind of fun conversation. Uh, it's typically fairly Cubs oriented. Yes. Um, so yeah, it's it's been a lot of fun, and I, and I had a lot of fun talking with those guys in the episode I was on. Yep. And so the final thing I'll mention is um, our joint, I'll say joint project, mainly your project, but yes, uh, of these simulated recaps you've been putting on Cubs Insider, and I done a few of them for you too, but. I thought yeah. you could tell everyone about them to get the. Yeah, and, I, and and anytime I've been on something, I I don't know if you've heard me or seen me or when I was on the rant, but I always try and make sure to give you a shout out. I really appreciate you helping me with that. I know oh, that you normally do the recaps uh, with Cubs Insider, so it's uh, a little extra bit of normalcy mm-hmm. to a degree. Um, but for anyone who's unaware, uh, we. Uh, well, I play the games on MLB The Show 20. I don't actually play them physically. I do the manager mode uh, to try and keep a, a little bit of discretion with it and let it kind of be the Cubs who are playing the game. Um, sometimes I, I jump in if a game's out of hand and put mm-hmm. a, a position player on the mound and have fun with it. Yes. But um, I take those games, um, I go through them, I take notes, and then I write up recaps. Um, I'll broadcast uh, clips from my PS4 to my YouTube channel. Mm-hmm. I download them and I edit them and I put in uh, home run calls from Lennon JD all over these uh, clips of you know Victor Caratini hitting a grand slam and MLB the show. Yeah. Um, and and then I I slide those in as much as I can. I slide those into the recaps to make it a little bit of fun. There's something for everybody if you want to read the recap and find out what happened and keep up with the stats and the standings. I put that stuff out there. I think every Sunday I put updated standings and, and they follow, we should add, they yeah. follow the course of who they would have been playing today right. if there were games. Yes, that right. Yeah. So it goes through the major league schedule. So it's, it's basically I'm putting these out every day, um, which does get exhausting. So it helps that you, you've been helping me with it. But uh, yeah, and, and so if you click into one, you find out what would have happened in theory in the Cubs game today. And maybe they, I think today's game, they won 10 to three and the bullpen had been overused in recent games. So Ian Happ pitched the eighth inning and Steven Souza pitched the ninth uh, in their 10 to three win. And I have uh, a highlight uh, video of Victor Caratini hitting a grand slam in that one yeah. uh, with the call the audio is Lennon JD calling it and it's all synced up with his bat swing and everything. So uh, it, it's, there's something fun for everyone with those. I get a, the occasional comment, which is always fun to read. Um, yeah. 
and I, and I have a few people who have told me that they really appreciate keeping up with what's what's going on with the simulation Cubs, which I, I think as of today they are twenty nine and fifteen. They've been on yeah, quite they're a very tear. good, yeah. Yeah, been on, been on a big tear lately. Yep. So we'd love to have real games to cover, but in yeah. the short term this will work. Yeah, it helps me keep my sanity. I still write about baseball because of it. Um, so it's it's just a little bit of fun. And I kind of thought to myself that if they came back uh, and played an 82-game schedule and maybe I did 80 games of this, we could piece it together and see what the Cubs would have been. So Exactly. Yeah. All right. Well, on that note, I'd like to thank you for coming on my uh, podcast. And I'd have you plug anything else, but there's nothing really – have you written any other articles? Though? Uh, no. I normally write for Forbes when, uh, when baseball's – real and and real life exists but uh that's on hold and not that i've been fired or laid off it's just that there's nothing to write about so i'm not writing i i hope that um either later this year or next year i'll be writing for forbes again but uh, until then you can find my recaps at cubs insider and if i'm if i'm ever motivated enough to actually write down some other coherent thoughts about baseball i'm sure i could put it up there at cubs insider as well Yep, same for me, basically, so. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, thanks, Ryan. All right, anytime. Uh, Ryan can be found on Twitter at Ryan Q. Davis. I am at SDH85. Um, you can subscribe to the podcast on the Apple Podcast app. Um, Spotify, anywhere else you want to look. Um... Still no baseball, so I'll try to find interesting guests to have on here and stuff. Um, please like and subscribe, you know. Go on the Apple podcast app and give me a rating and tell me what you think. And yeah, at some point we will have baseball again. And until then, everybody stay safe and... Go Cubs.